believe that the Bible is the Word of God and that all of it is useful for teaching us, for rebuking us, for correcting us, and for training us in how to live right, so that the servant of God may be fully equipped for every good work. So let's open the Bible and let's look at it together. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of the possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Wow, what a passage. In a couple of verses, we seem to have moved from glorious, generous grace into judgment. What, what's going on? It, it can feel like the joy of the new covenant has suddenly been replaced by harshness. Well, that might be what we instinctively feel, but it's not what's actually happening. See, God has always been a God of love. God has always been our heavenly Father. The Bible has been full of grace from Genesis chapter 1, but God is also holy and just. It matters if we're honest before God or not. And we may find the death of Ananias and Sapphira uncomfortable, but the early church seemed to have handled it really well. So let's unpack this passage together. Remember, what we're trying to do is we're trying to start a conversation. It's great to have great sermons, and I'm sure this will be one of those great sermons but actually, what we're trying to do is stir conversation in our, in our friendship groups, our life groups, our households. That's why we encourage you to unpack this passage through the daily devotions and in your life groups through this week. 
And what's at the heart of our conversation this week? Well, it's these verses. And when we come to Scripture, the first thing we must do is ask, what does it actually say? And it says two things very clearly. Say. And it says two things very clearly. It says this, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. So the first thing it says is this, a natural expression of God's grace is generosity towards the poor. It's been wonderful over recent weeks to be tracking the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the early church and to see wonderful worship and salvation and signs and wonders. But it doesn't stop there. The power of the Holy Spirit is not just that we would see people healed, it's that we'd see people cared for. And this passage makes that clear. We try and do that here at Every Day through giving away to other organisations, but also through our church family fund, which we use to try and care for people within our family here at Every Day who need provision. So the first thing it says is we should care for the poor. The second thing that's very clear is that lying to God is a really bad idea. Ananias and Sapphira lie to God and they don't leave the meeting standing up. They both die. So are we done? Care for the poor, don't lie, let's move on. Well, maybe there's a bit more to this narrative. And that's what we're going to spend our time doing now, is not just looking at what happened, but asking the question, why did it happen? And even more importantly, why does it matter? So firstly, why does God desire integrity and authenticity in the early church to such a high level that he will strike two people down in a meeting? Why does authenticity and integrity matter? Well, because it's dangerous to go the other path. See, to not walk down the pathway of authenticity and honesty and integrity leaves us open to a number of things. Firstly, as we see here, it leaves us open. It exposes us to the judgment of God. That's not somewhere we want to stand. Secondly, it makes us vulnerable to spiritual attack. Scripture is clear. Our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, it says. And one of the ways we resist him is to be firm in our authenticity, our integrity, and our honesty. Because the devil is the father of lies. Jesus tells us that lying is his native tongue. And so if we flirt with the untruth, if we cover over things, if we lack authenticity, what we're actually doing is placing ourselves in the realm of Satan. We're leaving ourselves vulnerable to spiritual attack. Thirdly, authenticity is important because if we're not authentic, we damage our relationships with one another. We see what God thought of Ananias and Sapphira's lie, but what did other people think? We're given a, a synopsis of what happened. We're not, we're not shown the conversations they'd had earlier in the meeting or during that week when they talked to friends and family. Oh, we've sold the field and we're going to bring all the money. How did those people feel? 
Well, they felt disappointed. They felt let down. They felt like, I thought we were friends. And you couldn't tell me the truth. When we lack authenticity, we not only leave ourselves open to judgment and spiritual attack, we damage the relationships that we have one with another. And fourthly, and possibly most importantly, if I lack authenticity, if there's a gap between what I say I believe and what I do, I damage my gospel witness. How often have people who don't know the love of God said to me, I couldn't be a Christian because all Christians are hypocrites. Now, of course, that's not true. It's not true that all Christians are hypocrites. But when we as believers are not authentic, when we as believers don't live out what we say we believe, when we can talk the talk but not walk the walk, we do damage our witness. You see, we are told in Acts chapter 1 that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us and we will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. And the reality is this, we evangelize some of the time. We witness all the time. Yes, sometimes we're telling people about the goodness of God. We're telling people about the gospel. That's evangelism. But our witness is constant. It's how we live our lives. And if there's a lack of authenticity between my life and my belief, what are people going to think? Well, they're going to think this. Uh, it's a bit hypocritical, Simon. So that's why God was so desperate in this moment to make it clear. Authenticity, integrity, honesty matter. Because I want people to hear the good news and I don't want anything to get in the way. Let's pause for a moment now and use this next song just to ask ourselves the very personal question. How's our authenticity right now? Is there a difference between who we are on a Sunday and who we are on a Monday? So we've seen that authenticity and integrity matter to God. They matter because to not have those things is incredibly dangerous. To lie before God, to have deception as part of our lives, exposes us to the judgment of God, the attack of the enemy, it damages our relationships with one another in the church, and it gets in the way of our gospel witness. Now, if that's true, why on earth did Ananias and Sapphira lie? Because surely they knew that. They're part of this revival community. Surely they know that this is a really bad idea. So why do they do it? And why is God so passionate about it? So this obviously matters to God. It matters to God so much that he steps in sovereignly at this moment. So let's try and unpack those questions a bit more. Firstly, why is God so passionate about us being honest and authentic? Well, I think it's because of this. I think God desires integrity and authenticity because he loves us. And he knows that we were created for authenticity and integrity. See, we must remember 
that God is sovereign and totally other from us. God does not need our good behavior to make him feel good. So when God gives us a command, when God guides us, he's doing so for our benefit. So when God wants to make a point about the early church being authentic and honest and have integrity, he's doing that not for his benefit, but for our benefit. He's doing it from a father's heart. So why does he want me to be authentic? Why does he want you to be authentic? Why does he want us to be authentic and honest? Well, it's because we were created to be authentic. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Then later it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. When we are not authentic, effectively what we're doing is this, we're hiding. We're thinking that who we really are, what's really honest about ourselves, is, is, is not allowed for public viewing, so we hide. That's what Adam and Eve are doing here, they're hiding. They suddenly knew shame and they're hiding. Now when God asks us a question, he doesn't ask for his benefit, he asks for our benefit. It's not that God had no idea where they were. It's not that God appeared in the garden and thought, oh, I wonder where Adam and Eve are. And he knows. So he asked the question for their benefit. See, God wants them to realize that they have traded honesty, authenticity, the truth, for a lie. Their enemy, the devil, has lied to them. And they believe the lie, and now they feel shame. They were created to be completely open, to be naked, physically and emotionally naked and open, and know no shame. They were created to have no secrets before God and no secrets before one another. And then they believe the lie. And now they are covering up. They are hiding themselves. This is why it matters to God, because God wants us to return to our relationship with him where we are unashamed. And God wants to build a community where we are unashamed. God wants to declare over the church there is no shame in this place. You can be who you are with all your imperfections. None of us look perfect physically or emotionally. None of our lives are perfect. And surely the church is the place where we can be honest about our imperfections and be loved anyway. 
That's why it's so important to God, because he created us for authenticity and he saved us by grace for authenticity. And the last thing he wants the early church to do is to go back to hiding and pretending and putting on a best face. He didn't want it for them. God doesn't want it for us. You see, if we pretend, it's so exhausting. If we try and live one life on a Sunday or in a life group or when we're having a conversation with a Christian friend and another life on a Monday or a Tuesday or when we're out with our non-Christian friends, it's just exhausting. It's also emotionally damaging. God wants to set us free into the authenticity he's made available to us. You see, we don't need to hide because we are already hidden in Christ. Surely, though, Ananias and Sapphira knew this stuff. So what's going on? Well, let's take a step back. See, in these later verses of Acts chapter 4, which we read, we hear about Barnabas. We hear about this man who was given a new name. We don't know whether he was given a new name after he sold the field or before. What we know is this man Barnabas sold this field and brought all the money to the apostles and ends up with a new name. Now I just wonder. I just wonder if in that moment Ananias and Sapphira thought, oh, if we do what Barnabas did, maybe we'll get a new name. Maybe there was a moment in the service where Barnabas brought the money and, and there was a round of applause. And people said, oh, what a good man Barnabas is. In fact, he's a son of encouragement. And suddenly he has this new trendy name. And people say, oh, there goes the son of encouragement. And maybe Ananias and Sapphira thought, oh, that would be nice. Be nice for people to point us and say, Oh, there go the son and daughter of affirmation. Maybe that's what was going on in their hearts. Because I can't work out why they chose to lie when they could have been honest. But I can surmise. See, Barnabas was able to sell a field and give all the money. Now, if you understand a bit of your Old Testament, you realize the importance of that. See, Barnabas was a Jew before he became a Christian. And as a Jew, he knew he was part of the promised people. He was part of the chosen people. And one of the ways that God reminded them they were chosen is he gave them a promised land. And every family within the promised land had a bit of land that was just theirs. And when they stood on it, when they farmed it, when they built their houses on it, they knew this is part of my identity. This is part of who I am. But Barnabas had realized that's changed now. My identity is not an old promise. It's in the fulfillment of that promise. It's in Christ. And if my identity is in Christ, it doesn't matter where I stand here on earth because I'm seated in heavenly places with Jesus. 
And therefore I can sell this land and give the money with no promise of return because my identity is no longer rooted in an old covenant. My identity is rooted in my relationship with God. And so he can give freely. I wonder if Ananias and Sapphira had just lost sight of their true identity. I wonder if they lost sight of the fact that they were secure in Christ. And when you're secure in Christ, you can be totally honest. See, this passage is not about money. It's not about amounts. It's about attitudes. It's about value. It's about identity. They could have come to the apostles and said, we've sold this field and we've brought half the money because actually we want to bless these people and we've got a, a wedding coming up or we've got to put the kids through school or whatever it was. And so we're just trying to be wise. We don't want to be a burden, but we're bringing half the money to the apostles. That would have been fine. But they didn't, couldn't do that because I think they'd lost sight of who they were in God. They'd lost sight of their security and their identity. And if you lose sight of that, you try and start building your identity through other things. And one of the things you build your identity around is, what do people think of me? What do people say of me? How do people view me? Now, how do I know that? Because I do that. See, I'm not judging Ananias and Sapphira in any way because I do this now maybe I don't stand up and lie in front of the church in fact could I just say I don't stand up and lie in front of the church but sometimes I want to protect my identity sometimes people ask me how I am and I say I'm fine even when I'm not sometimes I try and pray a prayer that looks good rather than one that comes from my heart and where I am. Sometimes I try and look holy rather than actually being holy. Maybe you do too. God's heart for us is this. He has created us to be vulnerable and authentic and open and honest. And we can be those things because we are totally secure in the love of God. Our identity is in Christ. So let's press into authenticity. How might we do that? Well, we're going to unpack that through this week in our life groups and our households and using our devotions. But here's four headlines that you might want to focus on. Number one, if we want to grow as an authentic community... Let's be honest with God, especially in our worship. Zach Guy is going to unpack this in our devotions, how we have authentic worship, how we can be truly honest with God when we worship on our own and when we worship corporately. He's going to help us dig into the Psalms. They're so glorious because the psalmist is always totally honest. When he's cross with God, he said so. He worships through tears, through clenched fists, when he's tight in a ball, when he's open on the mountaintop. The psalmist reveals to us it's okay to be honest with God. God knows anyway. So if we want to build authentic community, let's be honest with God, especially in worship. 
Secondly, let's choose holiness, not performance. We are declared holy because God is holy. Let's not try and be good so that other people think good of us. Let's just choose to walk in holiness because that is our inheritance in Christ. Thirdly, let's take relational risks and build real friendships. The writer Brené Brown says that vulnerability is the thing we find most attractive in others but find hardest to give ourselves. Let's take some risks with our friends in our life groups. Let's take some relational risks and be as honest as we can with one another. If you're struggling, say so. We can do it because Jesus did it. When you read the Gospels, you see Jesus had three really close friends, Peter, James and John. And he took them up on the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw him in all his glory. But he also took them into the Garden of Gethsemane and they saw him weep with pain because of what lay ahead of him. Let's build real relationships. And finally, when we get it wrong, which we will, let's be honest and let's do it quickly. Sapphira could have been honest. She could have taken that moment. Her husband had already died. She could have taken that moment and been honest and she missed it. Let's not miss those opportunities. Let's build authentic community, community together. It's what we were created for and it's what our world is desperate to see. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are totally open and honest with us. That you became flesh. That you feel all the things that we feel. Help us to help one another, to be honest and open, and to build the sort of community that sees our world transformed. Thank you, Lord. Amen.